Welcome to episode eight of the Sunday Conversation podcast presented by Loyalty Liquors. I'm Aaron. Across the table from me, that's Ben. Benny, how was your week, buddy? Week was great. Sunny. Got outside a lot. Uh, rode my bike probably like, I don't know, 150 miles. So, you know. Pretty. That's good. That's a good week. Um, so today we have another guest on, our second guest. Uh, his name's Brett Beebe. Um, ben knew him. Ben wrangled this interview. So Benny, why don't you tell him a little, or tell them a little bit about him? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just I met him. Uh, we were we were in a, a wedding together, and then um, you know, kind of stayed in contact. He's from LA, and my sister moved out to to LA, and um, he's a real estate agent. So uh, he actually was her, her realtor when, uh, she bought a place in, in Santa Monica. So, uh, I guess, yeah, just have stayed in contact and he's, uh, he's a go-getter and he's always doing something, literally always doing something. So, uh, you know, hockey guy coaches hockey. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely wanted to, uh, to get him on and, and hear some of his thoughts about, you know, just the, the current state of, of the real estate market and, uh, you know, how to, how to be like productive in these, in these times. Cause you know, he's finding a way and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about all that. So. Yeah. I think the timing of this was, was important because, um, you know, uh, there's going to be a lot of people defaulting on mortgages, a lot of uh, people not able to pay rent. So this could, could definitely change, um, the way the real estate market looks after this, but we're not going to do a whole, you know, drawn out intro prior to this. We don't have anything in particular, just the two of us we want to talk about. So without further ado, we'll throw it over to Brett Beebe. Well, without further ado, welcome, welcome on uh, Brett Beebe. Hey, uh, hey, Beebs, um, what's the difference between a numerator and a denominator? I don't know. A short line. Only a fraction of the people will get that though. So, um, <laughs> We're happy to have you on. I'll put that one in my back pocket and use it for later. Um, Brett Beebe, um, he's a hockey guy. Uh, we were in a wedding together. Um, he's a coach. He's an entrepreneur. Um, we got a lot of cool stuff to talk about, so I think we're just going to dive right in and um, tell us about your your hockey career coming out of L.A. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I've kind of got a little bit of a unique story, so thanks for having me. Um, grew up in uh, Redondo Beach, California, in L.A. Um, hockey kind of shaped where I'm at today, for sure. Uh, not kind of, it definitely did. Um, I grew up playing roller hockey in a um, elementary school parking lot in the league with a bunch of buddies when we were like five years old. Uh, from that, the LA Kings built a new um, practice facility near our town when I was 10. All of us kind of transitioned to ice hockey around 10. And from our group of like 16 kids that we started with, um, I think there was about nine of them got Division One scholarships. One played in the NHL. Um, a lot of them had professional careers, but it was pretty kind of a cool story to have so many kids not only from California but from this one little roller hockey league to to move on and um was fortunate enough to play junior hockey in the USHL I moved to Iowa when I was 17 played college hockey at Western Michigan 
played a couple of years in the minors and uh, ended up over in Germany for a year. So I kind of, you know, again, like, uh, you know, I've talked to you about it before, Ben, but, um, you know, when we started playing, it was all for fun and we had no idea where it could take us. I had no idea I'd be going to school in, in Michigan or, or ever living in Iowa um, and certainly not Indiana um, or <laughs> Pensacola, Florida or, or Germany for that matter. But it, I met so many great people in every place that I went to. I tried to take a little bit away from each place. And, um, you know, fortunately now that I'm back in LA, having had those experiences, it's turned into some good business success and um, some good stories for sure. Yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, we, I guess, formally met in a wedding uh, a couple days in, uh, in Texas, but I mean, technically, I, I played with a kid, Ryan Frost, who is, is a, a California kid that came out of your, you know, the LA Junior Kings organization. So I had always, always heard of you. He was always uh, sp- speaking, you know, about you, him. Probably uh, not very highly, but cool. probably a good story. <laughs> that, kid, that kid would, I mean, I've heard a million stories about old Bo, you know, Bo. It was always Bo, 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 yeah. Bo. Usually I, was like a, usually I was like an asterisk next to Bo because kind of where he went for a few years there. I wasn't far behind. Um, but, yeah, so I guess early, the early hockey days, like tell, tell us about like BB, BB hockey camps and what, yeah. it, what it became. What did it? Sure. Um, again, one of those things where – uh, I was a junior in college. I knew I wanted to keep playing after college. Uh, I knew it wasn't going to be at the NHL level, which meant that I wasn't going to be making a whole lot of money. Um, you know, my parents were always super supportive of what I wanted to do, but I never was given anything. Like if I wanted, you know, summer money, I had to, I had to find a job if I wanted extra, you know, I, if I wanted to work out at a gym, like I had to figure out how to pay for it. Like I used to work at our local, I worked at the local gym so that I could work out for free. Um, so I always kind of had this like entrepreneurial spirit. Hard, of, like, hard how, bods. What's that? Hard bods. Hard bods. Um, but basically it was like time that I wanted to like have something, I had to find a way to get it. So I, I'm thankful to my parents for, you know, implementing that in my life. So, you know, knowing that I wanted to keep playing, I started preparing early. I, I remember in college, I was a junior, and I was like, you know, I really, I, you know, I obviously knew at that point the NHL was going to be out of reach, but um, I knew I wanted to keep playing, and I, I knew sort of what my path was going to be. So I was like, okay, I know that though, like in the minors, you're not making a lot of money, and you know, I'm not trying to move back in with with, uh, with my family and and just to just to keep playing hockey. So I was like what can I do? So my junior year, I like, I remember I sat down with a couple of my teammates and I set out this like elaborate business plan of what a hockey camp could look like. And like, for sure, if a bunch of college guys put something together, everyone's going to want to show up because who wouldn't want to learn from a bunch of 23 year old, you know, college hockey players. And it got axed like right away because our, it got word got back to our administration that I was going to do this. And they're like, Hey, you can't use your own image and likeness because you're still a college athlete. I'm like, well, there goes that idea. So <laughs> that summer, that summer I worked with the, yeah, that summer I worked like the local hockey camps and I kept telling parents like, Hey, I'm thinking about starting my own thing. 
some of the parents were like, okay, if you do that, let us know, like, we'll bring you kids. So after my senior year, we had 18 kids at our first camp. It was called BB hockey camp because I was not a very good marketer at the time. Um, <laughs> I think I built, I think I built the, I definitely didn't have a website at first. Um, I think I built the flyer on like PowerPoint 1996. And, that was a good version though. People forget. Yep. You, know, you know, it's kind of like NHL 96. A lot of good things came out that year. <laughs> um so we did it and i did it with a couple of buddies and we had so much fun with it and um again the kids kids got better and you know we made some money for the summer and from that group of kids i built such good relationships with them and their families that cuts come full circle i've actually been coaching a few of the kids that were in that camp i've been coaching their triple a team now for two years um but kind of fa- you know backtracking a little bit was i never really wanted to get into like coaching teams the camps were super fun and I wanted to like keep growing them. So as, as I was playing in the minors, while well, a lot of guys were kind of sitting around doing nothing. Like I was always working on staying in touch with the families and making sure they had a good experience. And I built a website and I kind of just grew it. The next year we had, I think it was like 60, 60 or so kids in, in two groups, which was awesome. I got to, you know, have a few more buddies work, work with me. We had jerseys, like it was starting to become like a real thing. The next year we wanted to travel a little bit. I brought in an NHL guy to help me. Um, we went to, we did two camps in LA, one in Park City, Utah, one in Waterloo, Iowa, where I played juniors and one in Nashville. The Nashville and Park City ones were because of, I just researched what the fastest growing hockey markets were and was like, let's give it a shot. Utah was a huge success. And then Nashville was not good. We, <laughs> we, had, we had six kids signed up and I get an email from this guy being like, hey, you know, we heard about your camp. I'd love to help you find kids. We've heard good things about it. He's like, a lot of people in Nashville, they just, they'll just show up day of. He goes, I'll, I'll make sure you have like 15 or 20 kids the day of your camp. And so I'm like, great, this is awesome. So I like, I call Bo Bennett, my buddy that we were just talking about. And I go, dude, I'm going to have like 30 kids at this Nashville camp. Do you want to come? I'll fly you, I'll fly you and your girlfriend out. And he had just won the Stanley Cup. So I'm like, Nashville, I was like, Nashville, we're gonna have a great time. And I'm like, I advertise it like Stanley Cup champion, Bo Bennett comes, that got me one more kid. So we were at like seven. Now I'm like, okay. Thanks, is- Bo, that didn't pay for anything. <laughs> yeah, gonna be, gonna be great. I put, put us up in a couple of hotel rooms right next to Broadway. You know, I'm like, okay, if we break even on this, we're gonna have a great week. That's kind of my mindset, right? So we get to Nashville and we get to the rink super early. Camp starts at eight, registration at seven. We're there at five thirty, setting up. You know, the six, seven kids show up, and then my buddy Troy Bodie, that was helping coach it, goes to the other side of the rink and kid off the stick time, gets him to sign up for the camp, <laughs> and then and then nobody else showed up. And I asked, I asked the guys at the rink, I go, uh, do you guys know? Uh, I forget what his name was. All. I wish I had it with me. I'm like, do you guys know so and so? I'm like, oh yeah, he coaches here sometimes. He actually run he runs a camp this same week. <laughs> and I'm like, got your ass. That mother. <laughs> he just didn't want anybody to come to our camp. And so you. You know what though? That was the most fun camp we ever had. There was seven kids on the ice with four coaches, and and. Uh, one of the best ratio camps there ever has been like unbelievable and and you know we're out of there by three o'clock and we're like 
you know, this one's just a write-off. Let's let's head down to Broadway or go get yeah, right, right. food. Like, we had a great time. I think we extended Saturday or Sunday, you know, just to make sure that, you know, everything went off okay. But, um, you know, I learned, you know, it was, it's, it was all trial and error, all just kind of growing. And I never really thought it would get to this point. But after that year, um, just from like a, a marketing standpoint, like we knew what we're doing now. I had a great staff of coaches. We changed the name to Rapid Athlete Development. We kind of grew the model of what we were trying to do. So we added tournament teams and, um, and camps and we do like clinics and stuff like that. And, you know, sort of came up with all these extra, you know, added things that we can do. My buddies that have played in the NHL have been super grateful with their time. They're always willing to like pop into camp or if they're in town playing the Kings and I go to the game and some of our campers are there, they'll always say hi to them afterwards, you know, just little things like that, that, you know, you know, the hockey community is, they're such great people. And these kids, like, they remember this stuff for the rest of their lives. So we've had um, 100 to 500 kids in our program in the last two years. Uh-huh. And they, we now don't really travel as much for the camps. Like, we, we're hosting um, two weeks in L.A. where we'll have um, – People will come to uh, you now. Yeah, we'll have, a hundred, we'll have 140 kids one week and then another 60 to 70 the next week. Just, be, you know, I think we've done it the right way. And we, we're not, like – there's some of these, you know, bigger camps that are like, you know, they run a hundred locations. They have no control over who's coaching them and stuff like that. Like all of our coaches are, you know, current college pro coaches. Uh, we bring in some NHL guys and stuff like that. So if they get a ton out of it and it's, we keep it as affordable as possible and it's become a great, you know, thing that I look forward to every spring and summer. Yeah. I mean, Aaron, Aaron and I always talk about just like simplicity, you know what I mean? It's like, the the bigger you get you know the more issues that that become involved if you know it's like obviously in the beginning you had to do what you had to do to 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 grow it a little bit but you also you learn you learn it's you learn you learn and it's like you know it seems like you know you got a really special thing going um in terms of that but one one thing i i definitely i want to i want to talk about um well i guess two things one um NCAA uh, Division One Hockey Humanitarian Award. Yeah, that's like um, uh, that's kind of a big deal. Um, yeah, it was cool. You know, I didn't even know there was um, an award for being a nice guy until I was halfway through. My <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, one thing I I went to um, went to Catholic school and I went to um, uh, a school high school here uh, called Loyola in Los Angeles and. Uh, the motto at Loyola is men, it's an all, all boys Jesuit school. And the motto is uh, men for others. So we came in freshman year and we um, do, did like service projects all the time. And I've always had the uh, kind of that servant leader mentality. And so um, it just sort of stuck with me and I've never done stuff for, you know, never done any community stuff or any sort of recognition. It's just like, expected i was really fortunate to grow up in a great family and never really had to worry about a whole lot so i always felt like i owed it to other people to to help out where i could my mom was like the all-time most giving person of her of her time and energy and um and she she lost a battle with cancer so i kind of you know was always like trying to not not make up for that but like pick up where she left off kind of and so you know, anytime there was ever service opportunities, I think in college, my freshman year, 
coached uh, coached a Special Olympics basketball team for a season, which was you know it was great. But you know you know college man, like Wednesday night you don't you get home from practice you don't want to go do anything um and I was like going to coach going to coach um you know these kids and I for sure got way more out of it than they did I used to look forward to Wednesday practices all the time like I would I would like have my like game plan for like drills and stuff and we were we got we were pretty good <laughs> we were actually one of the top teams in the country. You know, <laughs> and you know, to their credit, like I think I'm a pretty good basketball player. Some of these, some of these kids were, were better than me, um, despite the stuff that they had to deal with. And so that that kind of fueled it. Um, did a few other things. We sophomore year, I think it was so, sophomore or junior year, we worked uh, in the spring and summer. Me and a couple guys got together with. Um, uh, a family that the, the husband had just come back from prison, turned his life around and, and was building a new house. So we like helped him sort of put everything together for free. And like, he taught us how to, um, you know, how to do all these things. He was a handyman. So he taught us like a million things. So again, got, I got so much out of it selfishly that now I know how to do, you know, build and do all these different things. Um, we, I started when my mom was sick, me and a few of the guys grew out our hair to donate um, for kids charity. And we like made some t-shirts and we're like, you know, if anybody wants one, they're 25 bucks. I'm going to put it in an order. Like here's the link to donate. And I had, I went to bed and I woke up and there was $2,000 worth of t-shirt orders. And I'm like, light bulb, like we could do something pretty cool with this. So we, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to leave this open. Like we're going to do, we're going to do shirts and all the, we partnered with the national breast cancer foundation. And within like a few months this thing took off and people started getting their shirts and like wearing them all around the world and taking pictures in front of like I don't know we had like the Taj Mahal we had like play, literally places all over the world it was like a game that people were taking pictures this was before Instagram was a thing so people were putting them on Facebook and they were like trying to outdo each other wearing these shirts so we had and we had like Olympians wearing them and like pro athletes and we ended up raising like $30,000 for the National Breast Cancer Foundation in like three months which was wild that's insane. Um, yeah. And like, so again, it's more just like, and then, know, so you, you ended up donating your hair, donating my hair and then Did it never realize, came back. I, I didn't know. Say. So I didn't know that I was on the recurring donation plan. I thought I signed up for like a one time donation, but like it just, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I clicked the wrong button and now they won't let me go back and take it back. So that's um, wild, man. Yeah. And like, again, I never did any of this stuff to like, get credit we still I still love to do community service stuff we've started a nonprofit recently and it's just something I really enjoy doing and you know it's great that they recognize people for that stuff because there's a lot of people that don't have a platform to to do this stuff that really work hard at it and I was fortunate to have a platform where people kind of knew who I was through hockey so it was it was easy but yeah, again, and it's all about taking advantage, though. Too, it's like, hey, yeah. if the platform's there. It's like, are you, are you are you motivated enough to to take advantage of 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 that? But um, no, for sure. It's and again, it takes a little extra. It takes a little extra effort that a lot of people maybe aren't willing to do. But I'm kind of that type A. Like, if no, you know, some someone's got to do it. It may as well be me. Yeah, there's a there's a good like it gives you a good sense of humility too. Like being able to do something for for other people and. You know, so Ben and I were talking a little bit about traveling last week and, and traveling's always been one of my favorite things because 
it gives you a sense of humility. You learn your place in the world. You realize that like, you know, you might be having a bad Tuesday, but at the end of the day, your bad Tuesday could be somebody's best day of their life, you know? So it gives you that like sense of humility. And I think when you find that, you know, helping people is just one way to really cruise. So that's, that's awesome. That's, um, that's great. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, especially right now in the times that we're in during this like quarantine period and we're like complaining that, you know, my biggest complaint today is that it's 80 degrees out and I can't yeah, go right. because it's closed. Right. And then I'm like, and then I'm getting like super upset about it. And then I'm like, what are you? Shut yeah. up. You know, so same thing. We're all from, you know, good areas where our biggest worries aren't really that big of a deal. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, just to, to transition a little bit back to hockey. Um, so Ben had filled me in that the, the team that you coach now won the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. Is that, that's correct? We did, now, yeah. Now, what was that experience like? For, for those who don't know, the Quebec Pee Wee tournament is like legitimately one of, if not the best tournament in the world for kids of that age, which is what, 12, 13? 12, yeah, I would say, I would say it's the equivalent of like the Little League World Series, but maybe right, a little right. bit higher because like Little League World Series is, it's not really like not a lot of travel players, but same type right. of stage where you're playing in front of 10,000 people and stuff like that. Now, so how does, how does the team get constructed? Is it just your team that you were coaching or do you look for talent kind of around the, the LA area? Yeah, so um, it was our local team. We, had, um, we did have a couple of kids that were from out of the area, but they were at you know, practice every week. Um, they were from, we had a couple of kids from uh, Northern California and one kid from Las Vegas, and then the rest were from the Southern California area. Um, and honestly, it's just, it's a really, really special group of kids from this particular birth year here in California. I, I wish yeah. I could say that I had some, you know, crazy scheme that got these kids to where they are or that, <laughs> but I think we put a, we had a, we had such a great coaching staff and then we put, um, we just kind of put a plan in place at the beginning of the year of what the season would look like and how we were going to push them and what the mindset was going to be. And, you know, that tournament is there's, I think there's like 32 teams from around the world that come in to play in the, in the highest division. And we certainly didn't make it easy on ourselves, but it was, it was so cool to see all the hard work that they put in pay off with winning that thing. That's now, insane. Sorry. Go yeah. ahead. Aaron. So this is, this is kind of a hockey specific question that maybe not all of our listeners will care about, but I lived in San Diego for a little while and I played a little bit of puck down there um, when I was out there. And the one thing I noticed is that like, you know, the game on the West coast is totally different than how it was growing up here on the East coast. You know, it's, it's a lot of kids that play roller hockey. So there's a higher skill level, right? It's higher stick skills, higher puck skills, um, and maybe a little bit less physical, a little faster game. Do you think that part of the reason your team had success is because that's kind of the direction that hockey is headed? It's, it's becoming a slightly less physical game and more of a skill game. That's a great, that's a great question. Um, and, it, and I would certainly say that California has always been known as a place where the players have um, a pretty high skill set. Um, but the one, the one thing that this group has that I think separated it from teams in California in the past is like this relentless energy and their, their hatred of losing and, and their competitiveness with each other. Um, yeah. It was, it was, it's honestly insane that these kids are, were 12 years old at the time. And, you know, now that they're 14 and it's still the same mentality, like, they they've most of them have the core group of kids have played together for a while 
and they love each other. Like they're legitimately brothers. They beat the shit out of each other in practice every day. And then they're sleeping over at each other's houses after practice. Like they literally, we almost had fights with 12, 12 year olds because they were practicing so hard against each other. And, um, but then in games, like we were down, we were down in, uh, we, we had to win, I think seven games to win the tournament or six games to win the tournament. We were down in four, four of them, uh, by two goals or more. And there was never any panic and there was never any panic all year. Like they always just have this crazy buy-in with each other. They're like, okay, well, we'll be okay. We're going to be okay. Like they, they love each other. And that I think separated it. Um, certainly they're fast, they're skilled. We had some great big, you know, big fast skating defensemen, some really skilled forwards. Um, but again, it was their, their hatred of losing that I think really pushed them into this. Yeah, man. It's like, it, that's one of those things like that they're going to, you know, they're going to carry with them forever. And it's like, yeah. you know, you, you hear about kids. Like, I mean, for me, I only ever heard about kids who played in the tournament. You know, so like I was, I, I didn't, was talking, play, I didn't play it either. Right. I, like I was, I was talking to Aaron. I was like, so, I mean, a couple of years ago, I was also coaching a, a Wee major team. And I was, I was saying like, Aaron, my best player was recruited to go play for mid Fairfield, which was like this team, you know what I mean? And then I had yeah. a few other kids on my team that played in like the second tier division on like another mid Fairfield team. Yep. But like, you know, these are kids from all over the place going to these teams. And I'm like, this kid basically, you know, won this tournament with like his core group, you know, of, of, of players like that, yeah. that that's unbelievably cool for those kids. Like, yeah, it was, it was, that, I think that was what was so special about it too, is cause we did have like a lot of families contacting us, like really good players that were like, hey, can we come play on your team for like tournaments during the year and then play with you in Quebec? Because that is what a lot of teams do is they'll um, they'll just they'll they'll form a team, you know, with all the best players from the area just for this tournament, or they'll uh, or they'll play, you know, uh, you know they'll they'll play their regular season, but during tournaments they add better kids in things like that. And I was I never wanted to do that because I thought you would lose some of what I think made us um, made us successful is that they just they practiced every day together. They trained together. They, uh, you know, handled losses together. They, you know, enjoyed victory together. They, all those things. And that, you know, it, it was just, it was a really, really, really special experience that I'll, you know, I'll carry that with me too for a long time. Like that was, I'll that was really, that. really cool. No, was, you know, and I always joke around. I, I joke with people all the time. They're like, Oh, I like, I get, like I get zero, um, you know, emotional gratification out of the success of 12, 13 and 14 year old kids. Like I, my life does not revolve around how much success they have in hockey. Like if they lose, I'm really not that upset about it. Like I'll, I'm going to try to get them better and make them better people, but there's zero ego. There's not like, you know, I'm not like, I don't live and die by 12 year olds. Like some, some people do. And they're, they're like, they're playing, they're like playing the game that they never got to play, you know, through these kids. And I think, um, you know, with that being said, I do feel like an immense sense of pride, not in that we won, but in that the, the kids set, they set the goal for themselves at the beginning of the year. I'm like, what do you guys want to do? And they're like, we want to win the Quebec championship. <laughs> I'm 
I'm like, that is unbelievable. I'm like, okay, well, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna put a plan in place, and it's like not gonna it's not gonna be easy, and it's not gonna be fun at times. And they, you know, six thirty a.m. practice on Saturday for an hour, and then an hour and a half workout after that, and then film almost every Saturday, and. Well, I'm sure their friends are sleeping in until 9 or 10 o'clock on Saturdays and going to do whatever they want. They're at the rink at 6 a.m. And I made them come help out with my with my younger team that even practiced before that. So they've got to do, like, the service mentality there. And um, so, again, just like, you know, we we to see them all buy in and not waver from it and just, like, stay focused and then get rewarded, that's what's going to go. And, you know, I don't care if one of these kids ever plays – college hockey or in the NHL like I would love to see it but I think they all know now what it takes to attain something that they really want to get and it's sacrifice and all the things that hockey teaches us as human beings when in reality they're like oh what you sent nine of your guys division one out of 16 well watch us go 16, 16. <laughs> I know I, like, well dude like you know what I, and I, I always I've always said it's not Youth hockey was never something that I was like planning on getting into long term, but I've kind of found my way into it mostly because of the resources that I can offer to these kids. And like this year, our coaching staff, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Like it's, so I'm like the small guy in this puzzle. So it's like myself, I have uh, uh, Gaspar Kopitar who helped me last year, who's Andre Kopitar's younger brother, who's his brain. If, if he could have stayed in shape, he would have played in the NHL, but Kopi, Kobe likes his food, so he didn't quite make it. But um, and then I have Matt. This year I have Matt Gilroy. Matt won the Hobie Baker with Boston University. Um, played in the NHL for five years. Played in Europe for the last five. He's I actually sold him a house here in LA. Him and his wife. And he's like, dude, I want to get involved with hockey. I, go, I have a fun team you can coach with. Um, I have Kyle Calder. Kyle's been with this group for a number of years. Kyle played in the NHL for ten years. Was the captain of the Blackhawks. And then another another guy named Mike Tadavosian who helps us with our skill stuff because he's just a he's he's just a smart hockey mind. So these kids have so many people helping them out that I hope that they go on and and are successful with some of these things. I mean, man, that's what it's all about. It's like the resources. It's like what you know the old saying. It's like you don't you don't use it, you lose it. And it's like, man, these kids like there's a reason they are, you know, they're where they are. Obviously it's like, they're choosing that. It's like, they're, it's all, you know, we've talked about mindset so much and like, you know, it's like, Hey, they're having a blast. They're getting their work done in the morning. They're still having fun. You know, it's, it's just like, but it's like, you can't teach that. The only way you can teach that is by having people, you know, like you, you know, like helping them, them out, like guiding them. It's like, you know, they'll they'll look back you know whatever 10 20 years and be like you know wow we we had it made and um you know so props to you man that's uh yeah i I appreciate that but like it goes back to kind of what we talked about earlier was like that sense of service and i think you're seeing the game being played at such a high level in the nhl because so many guys are now they're finishing up and they're spending a few years coaching or mentoring players and passing on what they know and those guys now are being you know could you imagine and I and I don't mean this in like a arrogant way or anything but can you imagine Ben like when we're growing up playing if you had 
like that five group of coaches teaching you the stuff that we didn't learn until we got to like junior in college. I wasn't, or pro even, I didn't learn, you know, half of the stuff that I'm, that me and the staff are teaching these kids until I was, you know, 20 years old. I, I also, sorry, Ben. I always said that like my hockey skills got so much better after my competitive career ended because you like, you start to make the mental connections of how the game works. Yeah. Like, you know, growing up, they're teaching you, you know, basically skating and doing the drills and they're teaching a little bit of system work, but they don't teach you how to like be creative within all that. Right. Like, and that's such a huge part of hockey. Um, so I totally, totally feel that. Sorry, Penny, didn't mean to cut you off. I just had to get, I I was literally going to say, like, you're saying like learning stuff now, like now five years retired from the game. I'm like, Oh man, like that makes sense. Like, Oh, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I mean, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing about it. It's like, Hey guys, like, check it. Like, I just realized this now I'm going to tell you or or, or however it works. Yeah. Just like. Well, yeah, and like, and, uh, you know, and again, you know, we have, you know, it's just like anywhere else. People sometimes think the grass is greener somewhere else. So we do have kids that are exploring other options at like 14 years old, like moving away. And I, you know, one of the things that's hard to get across to people is like, you don't, you, it isn't like this in many other places, like what you're learning and being taught and all that stuff. And I don't mean that from like a point of arrogance or anything else, but like, I had so many great coaches that taught me so many great things after my youth hockey. Like I played for Andy Murray and Jeff Blaschel, who both coached, you know, NHL teams and the winningest coach in USHL history, I think, and with Pete Manley. And it's like, you know, those guys pass on so much knowledge that I wish I would have known when I was 12, 13, it would have made the game so much better. Now I look back, I'm like, I probably sucked at, 14 and I thought all I had to do was just score goals and get assists there's so much more to it I think I think part of it too is that like you know when when we were kids obviously social media all that didn't exist so you didn't necessarily see how much work went into you know trying to get a college scholarship or trying to go pro you know there's so much shit behind the scenes that nobody sees and like that's where you know that's where the sausage gets made and nowadays with social media, these kids have access to NHL players and what their training regiments are like and, you know, all the extra work that they're putting in. And it kind of clicks like, oh, I need to do this. I need to study film. I need to learn the game yeah. to have a chance where that just, you know, that option didn't exist for us. If you didn't have the right coaches as a kid, you know, you were kind of at the mercy of, of their skill level. Yeah, I mean, that, that plus um... – you know, I will say the one, the, the, the converse to that though, is that there's far more distractions now yep, for totally, these kids totally. because of social media and everything else. Like when I was, when I was growing up, there was zero doubt in my mind that I was getting a division one college scholarship. And part of that was probably naive that I didn't know how many other good players were out there. And now like every hockey Instagram account is showing the highlight reels of you know, these 13, 14, 15, 16 year old players, I probably would have been like, oh man, these kids are so good. Like, how am I going to right. fit in? So there is a lot of that distraction and mentally, like, I can't imagine growing up in today's society with how many, or as a kid, like with how much stuff is thrown in your face and how, you know, how tough it must be to look around all the time and be like, oh my God, am I as good as that guy? Am I doing enough? Is this even worth it? Mm-hmm. Um, it was always just fun, you know? Yeah, Totally. I, I always I always have talked about and made like the the analogy that like 
you know, I think for me, it was probably like, you know, cause I played just regular travel hockey and then I played high school hockey for a couple of years. And then my senior year, I played uh, my, my first year, I played juniors, but I mean, there becomes a point when, you know, you're no longer playing hockey, you're performing hockey, you know, and it's like, okay, now I'm doing X, Y, and Z to try to get, you know, here. And, you know, it's possible, you know, to, to lose that, that, that feeling of what it's really about. And it's about having fun. So like for me, for me, that, that never, I always had fun, you know what I mean? So like, I never. For sure. And like the one, the one thing too, that I I always reiterate to these players is like, eventually hockey turns into a job. And I don't mean that in a sense that it's like, you show up to the rink at certain times and it becomes like, you know, you have to play this, that, or the other thing. It becomes a job in that, you know, part of the fun of youth hockey is that like, you know, I, I, at least with our team, like I, I roll the lines for the most part and everyone plays power play. Everybody plays penalty kill. Everybody gets a chance to, to, to play in certain situations for the most part. Like obviously certain games you have to shorten things up, but I'm pretty liberal with ice time unless you really do something dumb. You know, as you move up the ladder and it does become a business, like you find yourself set in a certain role and you have to do just that to, to make your team better, which might not be the most fun thing in the world. Like I didn't love being a third and fourth line player that chip pucks in and went and hit the other D as hard as I could or match up against the other team's, you know, better power plays because I was in the penalty kill or like blocking shots. Like those aren't always the most fun parts of the game when, you know, but that's what you have to do to stay in the lineup or to, you know, keep moving on at youth hockey, you get to kind of do a little bit of everything. So like enjoying this and not making it so much of a, I have to get to the next step, you know, and that, that, I think that goes for, um, you know, the working world as well. And what you're doing for a job is like, eventually you're going to be pigeonholed into one thing for a long time. So like, you know, I've enjoyed the process. I've enjoyed the process of not having any money and not having any status in my career to slowly just figuring out where I fit in and trying a whole bunch of different things. Um, and that, again, that comes from having the experience of hockey that Ben, we talked about, like it carries on the rest of your life into different things. So Biebs, like you were talking, you know, how, how your playing days kind of transitioned you into, um, you know, your career and the lessons you learned from it. Uh, so how did you get into the real estate business in the first place? Sure. So um, as I was finishing playing, I went to Germany for my third year of professional hockey. And I knew, I knew going into that season that it was going to be my last year, no matter how it went. Um, And so I started looking at other options and I, because I'm just a psycho and I can't sit still, I was doing, while I was in Germany, I was doing recruiting. So I was working for a recruiting company. So obviously there's a nine hour time difference between Germany and the U S so we would practice in the evenings at like, you know, six o'clock or whatever. I'd come home, I'd have dinner and then I'd start doing recruiting calls in the U S cause it'd be like 8 AM or whatever. Um, by the time I'd get started and I'd use LinkedIn and do all that stuff. So yeah. I actually had a job in recruiting lined up. Um, the company that I was working for got bought by Google. So a friend of mine was like, you know, you can come work with us potentially. Um, and then I had a job with Stryker doing med device sales, like every other hockey player that finishes up playing hockey. So those were, kind of the two, you know, those are kind of the two paths I was going to go down. 
and then a good friend of mine who's um he actually coached me in my first year of ice hockey when i was 10 um he's um a little you know obviously older than me but he called me he's like hey you know what's your plan after hockey i'm like i told him what i was thinking and he'd always sponsored my hockey camps he would donate some money to put his name on the jerseys not for any recognition but more just because he liked giving back and he does he does really well and he's like no would you consider coming to work with me and i'm like you know what does that look like and he told me you know the volume of stuff he was doing and you know that that he could be you know helping people essentially is what the, the job is and it's built on relationships not just with your clients but you know the people you meet along the way and he's like you know i'm good at the business side of things and i'm good at certain things but i think you'd bring another element to to the group so i'm like yeah i would love to shadow you so i actually got my i did all my tests and stuff while i was in germany just to be ready in case it, it happened yeah. shadowed him for a little while took the exam passed did it for a couple months fell in love with it and um last year we set a new record for his group like it's just it was him and i and now we've added uh another couple guys to the to the team but it's it's been so fun like we've we handle you know now that i'm on board and i've got my feet wet we do a lot of sports and entertainment clients that were in that division with our company um and it's i help friends like ben calls me and goes can you get my sister a house and i'm like let's do it and you know it took us probably a week to find her something so um having grown up here and knowing the people i know from the sports world and everything else it's been an awesome transition it's been so much fun it's hard but it's fun yeah i mean that it's definitely uh it's a crazy you know crazy world in terms of you know once you start dealing with with you know i guess your market you know it's like you're not in an in an everyday market you know lost what, what would what is that exact what's like the territory of your of your yeah so what are you guys considered like, just a like, like so we, work, we work for we work for a brokerage called douglas element um it's pretty big uh private brokerage we're the biggest in uh, new york miami uh aspen and then we're we're up there in la um if you guys watch a million dollar listing at all like a bunch of the agents that are on that show are with our company so it's a it's a premier like luxury real estate company but we do you know we do anything you know we're not just selling like multi-million dollar homes or whatever else we'll do like i've done i've sold a three hundred fifty thousand dollar condo um all the way up to we've done like five six million dollar homes so it's you know kind of a little bit of everything um but um but yeah it's it's um that's that's how we that's where we are we're 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 our own brand within that company basically i got gotcha. you so in terms of like you know i've noticed on like your instagram as of late um like some like builds you guys are doing are you guys so will you guys buy property and do it yourself or do you just sub out like sure. a, you know, a builder or we're you know especially for me like i'm not at the point in my career where i can put up the money to do my own development um so what we do is we have developers that let's just say you know a few of the deals that i've done this year um i have a great partner that i work with who um they do basically value add properties so not necessarily flips but like you know multi-family places that need uh you know complete upgrades we'll, we'll go in and I'll, I'll do the, I'll, I'll broker the deal. Like we'll, we'll find the, 
you know, he'll find a place he likes. I'll broker the best deal that I can get for him. Him and his company will go in and redo the whole place. Uh, and sometimes, you know, they'll have to raise rents depending on where the area is, or we'll turn around and sell it to another buyer. Um, or we'll do single family homes or we'll turn stuff from, you know, one of the things that LA has done is they've, they've added, um, they've been really, um, uh, not lax, but they've, they've added rules where you can add on what are called accessory dwelling units, which would be like a, you know, a, a back house or something like that. Um, so we'll do new construction. We'll do, um, you know, basically anything. So we work with partners that do the builds for us. We just broker the deal on either the buy side or the sell side or both. So that's that's a big that's a big piece of the puzzle for us right now too. Now, how do you foresee the current global pandemic affecting the real estate industry, right? Because I mean, you know, you've got people that, you know, I think it's up to 26 million Americans have filed for unemployment in the last 5 weeks, so you've got people that are going to have trouble paying rent, going to have trouble paying their mortgages. I know it's kind of varying on loan forgiveness and all that stuff, but um you know, the, the reality of the situation is when this thing's over with, most people are not going to be in a financial situation where they can be like, hey, let's go buy a house. So do you foresee that being like a downturn in your industry for a little while once this whole thing's over with? I think it totally depends on your market. Um, it's really tough to paint a broad picture of the real estate industry at any time. But, um, you know, in LA specifically, we're going to see, we, we won't see the data um enough for probably until after q2 to make an assessment on that um i do think right away you're gonna see um you're like right away you're gonna see people that were gonna buy are still gonna buy people that we're gonna have to sell are still gonna sell um that's just that's just the nature of real estate right now um i do think because of the area that we're in it's not going to be hit quite as hard even in 08 sales rarely um you know, didn't really decline in our, in our market, but I do think we're going to see a whole new animal here over the next few months, depending on how long this, um, this keeps going and, and what the, what the government is willing to do to, to help people here. Uh, banks aren't lending as much right Right. now, even, even just to qualify right now, we've basically been told by our lenders that you need a 700 plus FICO score, plus uh plus a minimum 20 percent down payment and most americans don't have that that much money or that great of a credit score much less the the combination of both so and even even then like that doesn't necessarily mean the bank's going to lend you money right now so um what i do believe we're going to see in our market is that inventory is going to go down even more right now people are going to hold off on selling if they don't have to like we're sitting on multiple listings that we have signed that were supposed to come out in March and April that um, are being pushed back because the clients don't need to sell. They, they're, right. they're hoping to upgrade to the next property. They're not selling because they got a job transfer or right. lost their job or whatever. So I think there's a lot of people that are going to be in that boat. So what will happen is when it does come time and this thing does sort of settle down, we're going to probably see an influx of inventory for the first time in a long time, which means buyer going to have more to choose from than they have in the past, which means less bidding wars, which sure. means, um, you know, potentially more days on market, which means, you know, lower prices. I think we'll see that. I do think, you know, Ben and I talked uh, a week or two ago about uh, the Airbnb market being something yeah. that is going to be hit really, really hard 
uh, short-term rentals, people leveraging multiple properties against each other. And now they're not just missing. It's not the guy that owns, you know, one rental income property and he's going to be hurting. It's the guy that owns 10, 12, 15, and he's missing not one mortgage, but 15 of them. Right. Um, and I think, I think that's going to be an, an area that we didn't have in 08. We're pretty safeguarded with loans and everything else because of right. all the things that happened in 08. We didn't have these Airbnb or short-term rentals and things like that that we do now. So it's a whole other animal. Yeah, I mean that that is an interesting interesting point you bring up because I I just got done reading a book called The History of the United States and Five Crashes about the five most major stock market crashes in U.S. history. And obviously, I've talked about oh wait nine hundred fucking times on this podcast, but um, that was the thing, right? Is they were giving loans and mortgages to people like literally if you had a pulse you could get a mortgage and like a zero percent interest to start and then it'd be you know adjustable rate so it's good to hear that the banks have you know shored up the requirements to get a loan so that we don't have another housing crisis on our hands but the airbnb point is interesting because back in uh in 1929 one of the biggest problems is that these stock brokerage firms were using leverage when they were buying you know, big chunks of stock. So their, their margin of error was so much slimmer and you could apply the same thing to Airbnbs where if you buy, you know, 15 properties and you're renting them out as Airbnbs, all it takes is a couple of them to go down. And now all of a sudden you can't pay for all of them, you know, so using, using leverage like that is just a foolish thing. But we have this, like this inclination as Americans where like, when things are good, we don't ever think about what could possibly go wrong, you know? Well, yeah. And I mean, it, you know, I, I had actually met with a gentleman in, um, in November and December um, who he's a hedge fund manager and, and we had been starting a project because um, based on the numbers I was seeing from August to December, I was kind of expecting a market correction within the next like 12 to 18, 24 months. Yeah. Now, as soon as the new year, um, and that was kind of also as the, as the trade deal with China was, was happening, yep. things were really slowing down. Um, as soon as the new year hit, we were on a tear in this market, like January, February, and the very first week of March were, um, were incredible here. Everything was moving. Everything was like partially driven by the low interest rates that buyers had. Um, and you know, at that point I, I called, I called this guy and I'm like, okay, maybe I was a little off in my prediction you know i think at some point we'll 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 pick this conversation up and then sure right. enough like a week later I'm like, <laughs> you know what maybe we should uh, maybe we should revisit this whole thing again so we had been putting together um you know an investment deck to go after certain things that you know could be affected by the slowdown so now we're right we're picking that up even more but again anyone that's anyone that's telling you where this is going to go or what direction it's going to head is you know, because it's going to be, yeah, I mean, it's going to be different, right? I think we're going to learn a lot as states individually start to open up slowly here over the next um, few weeks. What does that mean for, you know, the job industry? What kind right. of stimulus is the government going to inject? And, right. you know, it's, it's not sustainable to keep printing money. No, no. I think I think we're up to five point six trillion dollars injected into the economy by the Federal Reserve. I mean, yeah, my, my printer's out of ink. I was gonna say it's, it's like, too, hey, hey, you know, 
you know, the frontline emergency workers are, are extremely important in this time, but is Absolutely. anyone think is anyone thanking the toner guy at the federal reserve right now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it's so, it's so it's crazy, man. Like I'm not a finance guy. I'm not, uh, I don't claim to be any, anybody in particular. Obviously I have my own opinion and that is what it is, but you know, I really hope, I really hope that as we, as we get more, and I'm super sympathetic, right? My sister's a nurse. She's working with these, um, these patients day to day and she's on the front line and she's seeing all this stuff. And like, I'm so, I have 90 year old grandparents and I'm super sympathetic. I'm sure I had this thing in late January when I came from New York. And so I'm going to get tested for the, the antibodies next week. And it's like, you know, as more testing becomes available, I think we're going to find out how big this thing actually was before it became a, you know, before it came what it is now. Yeah. And hopefully that'll help people understand that, you know, again, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, a you know, an animal whatever, a, a disease specialist. Like, but I think if we get, if everyone got tested and we found out how many people actually have this, the, 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 the number goes down quite a bit. And obviously. So, so I'm sorry, to- you're saying that, so I, I think I also had it. I, it, like I came back when I flew home from, uh, Thanksgiving, every 10 of my cousins, we all had the worst illness for, for like three weeks. We don't know what it was. We just assumed it was the flu, like crazy. Like, yeah. But, um, so are you saying you're, you're, you're getting tested to see if you already had it sort of, like, yeah. or you're not yeah, getting tested for the, no, you know, no, no. See so, if the antibodies are in yeah, the So I, we went to, um, New Jersey, New York for a tournament at the end of January with, with my team. And when we came back, my literally my whole team and all the parents got so sick. I was in bed. I was in bed for four days. Same here. With Same the, like with fever, the worst sore throat I've ever had in my whole life, cough, um, to the point where I haven't been to the doctor for like three years for anything other than like a physical. And I went to the doctor because I thought I was like legitimately in a bad place and I got tested for the flu. I got tested for strep throat. Both were negative and they were like, you know, you probably have a respiratory virus. Um, these same symptoms have been going around for a while. It's like all we're seeing right now. So it's whatever strain of whatever it is this year. I'm like, Oh, okay. So they gave me some cough stuff and said, you know, drink a ton of water and fluid and you'll be, you'll be good in a little while. And, but literally my whole team got it. Um, the the team that practices after us two days a week, their whole team ended up getting it because we share a locker room with them and um, their families and, you know, who knows. Right. So again, it all comes down to, I think, I think, and I, and I, I segue into that because I think that's going to be a huge influence on the housing market and what, you know, it, it's, it's going to be one of those things where it's not, the buying and selling a house is not life or death for most people right now, getting food on their table and getting back to work and all that stuff, that's going to come first. And then we're going to be after that. And with that being said, I think, you know, people that do have to sell for whatever reason, like if they need to sell it, there's going to be people that are willing to buy it. And I think cash is going to be king here um, again for the first time in a while. Like some people, you know, will probably take less money, if it's a cash deal versus a finance deal that might not 
that might not fall, that might not get through during a 30 day escrow. They might, right. a lot of stuff's falling out. Like we, I talked to a lender recently and since like March uh, 15th, they've lost uh, over like 20 or 30% of their deals uh, because the banks just couldn't lend on, um, on, you know, on those deals. Yeah. Stack cash while the economy's hot. I've, you know, definitely, I mean, Aaron and I talk all the time, like we've learned so much, you know, throughout all this, it just, it just makes you, makes you realize like, um, well, and I think, I think too, our generation is like, you know, granted we're, I would say that we're the most poised to come out of this successful because we were not, you know, totally involved in that 08 crash. Like I was, I was just starting college. Mm -hmm. I had no money in the bank. I certainly didn't have any money in the stock market. Um, all we learned were the lessons that were taught by that. We weren't, you know, affected financially. So um, I think a lot of our generation has built up wealth in some way. It it may not be a lot. Like I'm not saying the average 30 year old has hundreds of thousands of dollars of savings, but probably has some, some sort of savings saved up over this growth that we've had over the last number of years. And they're going to be finally the ones finally, maybe now these, you know, 55 plus year old people are now going to think about, okay, it's time to sell and down downsize or whatever else. And it's now time for our generation to finally get in the housing market and start, you know, stop renting California for the first time in its history uh, this year is renters outnumber uh, homeowners. So, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see what those numbers look like in 12 months. Yeah, I think there's uh, there's definitely like a hard reset coming on the housing market here, um, yeah. which is which is a good thing for our generation because we got you know I talked to my grandfather one time he bought his first house for like thirteen thousand dollars and it was like a yeah. four bedroom house it's like dude but yeah like, my grandparents lived in the yeah. same house for seventy years that they bought for twelve thousand dollars it's now <laughs> it's now worth one point six million and they have all they've all they've they added on like fifty square feet but they still have this like. You know, so much of it's still the same thing. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, my, my grandmother has a place on Martha's Vineyard, a condo that she bought for 13 grand in the 70s that she makes that money back every year by renting it out all summer. You know, yeah. it's it's crazy. So I think you're right. I think there's going to be a, a hard reset um, on the housing market. And I just hope that our generation, like, actually seizes the opportunity. You know what I mean? Like Ben and I, you know, had an episode where we talked about like how you'll never have a better opportunity to invest in the stock market. And I still think it's early. I don't think that, that we've hit the bottom of where the stock market's going to be. I just hope that people actually take advantage of it because literally fortunes and, you know, housing empires will be built during this time. And it's just a matter of if you're prepared for it. And I get it. I mean, there's a lot of people out of work that won't necessarily have the fiscal ability to be able to do it, but you know, yeah. I think there will be a good, you know, reset and our generation will, will finally start to have uh, some success. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, I mean, that being said, Biebs, like what, um, in this time, like, are, like, what are you, are you focusing like right now just on your real estate, like your hockey, like, what, like, I guess tying back into the hockey before yeah. important, like, you know, have multiple, multiple streams of income and multiple things going on. Um, do you find that like, are you doing anything like online with your kids right now or anything? Or are you yeah. staying? Um, yeah. I mean, as far as like day to day right now, um, 
I'm probably like everybody else, just trying to find a new routine. Um, I had a great, great thing going before all this, but I think the one thing um, that this has definitely given us the opportunity to do is to like build new habits, whether it's going to just be during this time or if it's something that we can carry on. Um, I've, I've been, I love to read, so I've been reading a lot more, um, you know, trying to maintain some semblance of a routine, like getting up at a, the same time, um, you know, drinking a ton of water. I've been running a lot, which I never really did before. I've run more in the, I've run more during this quarantine than I think I did in the past like two years. Right. So, you know, I've, I, I love David Goggins and I love his mentality and his mindset about everything that he talks about. So I've, I focus a lot on, on, uh, on his stuff and it's translated really well to, um, you know, training as far as like running and biking and and stuff like that. And also for work, like there's, it's really easy to just say like, I don't want to do it today, but, um, but again, just trying to keep that same sort of routine, even though there's certainly more, more downtime. So yeah, that's that's been it for me. I'm sure. What's your day to day like right now? I mean, so, so I work in wholesale liquor sales, wine and liquor sales, and we're still cranking right along. So, I mean, my, I'm not working as many hours as I normally would. And I don't have all the extracurricular events that go with my job and doing wine dinners and tastings and shit like that. Um, That stuff's all on hold right now. So my day to day is, is a little bit shorter um, but same thing. I mean, I'm reading a fuck ton. I mean, I had so many books backlog that I just hadn't read. Um, so I've been putting books down left and right and similar to you, you know, just part of me is, you know, working on things I can improve and learning, but also part of me is trying to enjoy this time and having less responsibility just because there'll never be another time in any of our professional lives where you're being forced to not go to work, you know? No. And I, I think, I think the, the average American, uh, you know, daily life is so focused on the rat race and working that like, you know, there is an element where I hope people do enjoy this time because you will never see another time like this in your life. No, I couldn't agree more. I think the one thing, and it took me a little while to realize it, um, was that this entire thing has really stripped away the distractions that we use for ourselves on a daily totally. on a daily basis, whether that's whether that's work, whether that's um, you know anything. Like if you really boil it down, like I think a lot of people, as myself included, are really having to address things with themselves that we've put aside for a long sure. time because um, you know because we can. So I it's been um there's been some days where like you know some days have been great where I'm like oh I'm gonna really enjoy today I'm gonna wake up I'm gonna you know I don't have a ton of work to do so I'm gonna like sit outside I'm gonna go for a walk whatever else and then there's other days where I'm sitting here and I'm like I'm not mad that I'm in quarantine I'm mad because this part of my life is like exposed and I need to deal with it and I don't want to I want to go distract it with work I want to go distract it with something else and I don't I can't so for me that's been that's been a big adjustment and I'm sure it is for a lot of other people, totally. like, you know, couples that are at home with each other oh, all day man. now, and like, <laughs> yeah, right, right. you know, things like that. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's interesting, but I agree. I, I agree with you. If you take a, if you take your a positive mindset with it, this can be a huge growth. That's it. That's it, man. I mean, I'm a big, you know, power of positive thought, you know, positive thoughts bring positive things and, and, you know, 
you, you get two ways to look at every situation. And if you choose the positive one, it's going to make everything a little bit easier. I mean, is it fun all the time? No, but this is the reality of the situation right now. And being pessimistic about it and negative about it isn't going to make it any better. So, I mean, you just flip it, look at the other side and, and keep it moving. But listen, buddy, it's been, uh, it's been great talking to you. I feel like we could go for like five hours, uh, but I think uh, all of us will, will get on with our day. Uh, but love to have you on in the future. Thanks for coming on. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon, Beeps. That was great. Thanks, Aaron. Ben, thank you guys for having me, and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon.